0: The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Uh,
1: I want to start an eight-week series of talks on what in Buddhism is called the Four Foundations of Mindfulness. The core practice of mindfulness that we teach here and has become popular here in the West uh, is derived from a particular discourse that the Buddha gave Uh, It's called The Discourse on the Four Foundations of Mindfulness, where it's a teaching about these four practices or four sets of exercises for developing a heightened sense of awareness. And uh, this particular text uh, is kind of the source book for many of the mindfulness teachings, at least in Buddhism. And uh, it's often referred to and people kind of practice it and uh, it's a very important text. Um, it's so important that in uh, traditional Buddhist countries, it has become a uh, liturgy that people, monks will chant. And sometimes it's chanted. It's so important that sometimes they chant it when people are dying. With the idea that um, knowing about this practice and being connected to the practice of mindfulness is one of the most useful things you can do as you're dying. And I've been with people who uh, have uh, gone through the dying process, who have been strong practitioners. And it's quite wonderful to watch them call upon this practice of mindfulness uh, during those last uh, hours of their life and uh, what a big difference it makes. And Certainly my uh, hope to be uh, as conscious as possible uh, for my own dying and to be able to utilize this training I've had in mindfulness and Four Foundations of Mindfulness at that time. Um, And so I'm very happy to teach this topic because uh, the practice of mindfulness in this traditional form um, has been probably among the most important things I've done, uh, especially in terms of any kind of spiritual practice or Buddhist practice. Uh, It's helped me understand myself in uh, ways I could never have imagined. It's helped me to um, uh, explore states of mind and states of being that I didn't know existed. And it's taught me about uh, uh, freedom in a way that nothing else has taught me about freedom. Uh, and so we talk about spiritual freedom or uh, liberation in Buddhism as being part of the ultimate goal of Buddhism. And it's understood in our particular Buddhist tradition that it's the practice of mindfulness that leads to the ultimate form of liberation. We know I think many of you know now that mindfulness has become quite popular in our culture uh, it 's kind of everywhere seemingly, and lots of references to it and um, that's a great thing and it's quite remarkable you know when I started practicing in, uh, in the mid 1970s um, the you know I was mostly doing Zen, but there was the mindfulness was not part of the vocabulary, even in Zen, back then, and it certainly wasn't part of my vocabulary growing up in the United States, speaking English. I mean, I kind of knew what it was. I mean, it wasn't like it was a totally foreign word, I think, but it wasn't a popular, common word. And now it's everywhere you go. It seems like there's mindfulness magazines, and you know, there's um, there's all these books on mindfulness. It used to be the popular title was Mindfulness, or Zen and the Art of. And now the popular title is, um, you know, mindfulness and. Um, the cute thing I thought was that a friend of mine wrote a book called. Um, that was she was a, she was a mindfulness student, a vipassana student for many years, still is, very devoted one, Rana Kabatsnik. She's taught here sometimes, and she wrote a very nice book called. That's the title the publisher gave the title of, um, I think it's called, uh, Z, uh, maybe some of you know Zen and Eating or. The Zen Art of Eating or something like that. and um, So that was nice. That was maybe in the mid-90s or something. And Zen was still kind of popular. About 10, 15 years later, a Zen teacher in America wrote a book on eating. And she called it uh, something like Mindfulness in Eating. (laughs) (laughs) So these these trends change. And so when I did a survey some years ago of all the different books that you could um, buy on Amazon with it, titled Mindfulness and, they even had uh, Mindfulness and Angry Birds. (laughs) I don't think that's what the Buddha had in mind. But so it's kind of entered our society in some wonderful ways and some curious ways. And um, so I'd like to take us back to these ancient teachings called the Four Foundations of Mindfulness and um, explore it over this time. The way that this text lays out the practice of mindfulness, I think of it as a path. And it's a path that begins um, in kind of the more obvious experiences of our life and then moves uh, deeply, more and more deeply inside of ourselves to some of the deepest uh, areas of our life that where liberation can happen. And it's a beautiful path of uh, deepening, of awareness, of opening up, of becoming free. And so, and during these weeks, I'll take you along this path that this uh, text uh, presents, and the path of, in some ways, the path of deepening inside of yourself to deeper and deeper areas. Um, so that mindfulness is a translation of an ancient world word called sati s-a-t-i and it's not we're not really sure how this should best be translated into english uh, nowadays it's popularly translated as mindfulness which gives a uh, priority to the word mind and the word sati doesn't have you know the word mind in it uh, so um, you know it's it's possible that mindfulness uh, is not the best translation in fact Uh, I've done, uh, you know, with my knowledge of the ancient Buddhist language and the ancient texts, I've done some, what I think is kind of careful study about this and think that um, actually the more appropriate word into English for sati is awareness. And what we're cultivating is awareness and developing a strong uh, capacity for awareness. And that these four foundations of mindfulness are the four ways, four foundations, or places in which ways in which we can establish a heightened uh, capacity for awareness. And the Buddha said that um, uh, awareness practice, as mindfulness practice, is a phenomenal and important way to protect yourself. Independent of becoming liberated, it's a protective practice because uh, as you become more aware you become aware of what's going on around you and you can become aware of what's going on inside and there's a much more information that you can take in about uh, the impact things have, the impulses that you act on, uh, awareness of much more the consequences of what your actions are and uh, motivations you have for acting and all that information tends to uh, protect you uh, from danger and the most, probably the most useful danger it protects you from is yourself. Because uh, you know yourself well enough, you can kind of take some more responsibility or care around the thoughts you act on, the impulses you act on, the beliefs that you carry along with you, all kinds of things. Uh, The four foundations of mindfulness, uh, these four areas in which awareness is uh, developed, uh, the Buddha uh, called it, um, one, one thing he called it, he called it your home country. I just call it like your home, but, you know, your native place. So uh, you wander off into the wild world for a while, and after many years you come back to your native place, or come back home, and, you know, if you had a conventionally nice native place or home, then it's nice to be home, you know. It's like, oh, this is my place, I can relax, this is where I am. Um, He also talked about... um, the four foundations of mindfulness as our pasture. Um, you can imagine kind of a pastoral image of—I uh, don't think cows, but for the Buddha, probably deer—who are kind of eating grazing on their pasture and and um, and um, you know feeling at home. And so, uh, the four foundations of mindfulness are a place where we get nourished and supported, and and uh, where we can grow and develop. The Buddha gave an analogy, a story once of um, something like a little rabbit that was out on a plowed field, which means that all the clods of dirt were uh, up and about, and, <clears throat> and you're kind of exposed as a little rabbit, and there, you know, there's no vegetation to protect you. And sure enough, this hawk came and, um, and uh, flew over and saw dinner, and swooped down and picked up that rabbit and and the rabbit said something that, um, to the hawk and said, well, you know, I wasn't, re- something like I wasn't really paying attention, but if I was paying attention in the middle of the field, I don't think you would have caught me. And the, rabbit, the hawk said, well, what do you think? Of course I would have caught you. The rabbit said, well, let's try it. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so, okay, the hawk said, and put the rabbit down and in the middle of the field, and the rabbit couldn't run away so easily. And, and so the hawk went high up in the air and then went swooping down to really show that rabbit what it could do. And, um, and just before uh, it was going to grab the rabbit, the rabbit jumped behind a big clod of dirt. And then uh, the poor little hawk hit the clod, and that was the end. We never hear about the, that, that hawk again. <laughs> And uh, so, this kind of very violent story is... Uh, <laughs> is, uh, is the, then the Buddha said something like, um, um, you know, if, uh, if you stay in your pasture of mindfulness, stay in awareness, then you're protected from the dangers that come. You're paying attention and you can get out of the way and not get caught. More importantly is that the path of mindfulness is a path of liberation. It's a path of understanding how we get caught, how we get contracted, and then learning with the forces inside of us uh, of the rele- what releases the way we're caught, and uh, and and unleashes uh, uh, beautiful forces, uh, qualities, or states within us that come with increasing freedom, uh, joy, and tranquility, and equanimity, and happiness, concentration, a variety of things that. Uh, kind of get bored. It's quite beautiful, this process of what happens. Um, The the idea of mindfulness, sati, uh, is part of a constellation of mental factors that Buddhism puts a lot of emphasis on, having to do with attention. Um, Buddhism has like a map or understands the ecology of, of attention And the different elements that get put into place or different kind of moving parts of attention um, are studied, worked on, evoked uh, for different purposes in different ways. Uh, And so uh, learning how attention works is actually part of this whole path of Buddhism. We all have the capacity to pay attention, but our capacity to pay attention uh, is often being it 's always being used it 's always operating it 's very hard to turn attention off um, I just love to try to tell people to stop paying attention cut it out stop being aware and most of you, you know, like as soon as you 're told not to pay attention it 's kind of hopeless you 're kind of you know you can 't stop it and uh but often our attention is is uh being used by what probably we can call unconscious forces inside of us, or subconscious force, subconscious. That um, we have our desires, we have our thoughts, we have our fears, uh, we have our animosities, we have our concerns. And we're so strongly involved in those uh, and we use them to think and fantasize and imagine things and we use it to negotiate the world to get what we want, to do what we want, to take care of ourselves and we're so involved in those concerns that we don't really notice that we're using attention as the vehicle to, to negotiate all those. And, um, but with the, with the growth of attention, we're de- beginning to develop a heightened appreciation of this capacity for attention in all its different ways it, it functions. And uh, it's a remarkable thing that happens when we shift our attention away from our preoccupations to notice the field or the terrain of awareness that has to be there for us to have any concerns at all. So rather than being absorbed in concerns, it's kind of the difference between, um, you know, being in a, um, Oh, I think the great maybe example nowadays. You know, all these people are walking around with their their palms cupped upwards, you know, and looking down, and uh, you know, and maybe the other hand has a one finger, <laughs> and uh, and uh, you know, you pointing at that cupped hand. You know, it's quite something to watch. You know, and um, it's very common. So. You know, you're you're looking at your device and absorbed in what's going on there, and and uh, you're walking around, and then, you know, maybe um, the battery dies, and you so you put it away in your pocket, and you look up, and you're like, wow, There's, wow, <laughs> it's beautiful here. How did I end up in this beautiful park and this great big lawn and you know, pasture and. There's you know birds and rabbits and and this blue sky is blue and there's flowers and you know some idyllic scene. Wow, this is peaceful. This is nice. I wonder where I can get my device charged. <laughs> but you know that's when you wake up and oh so so to end to begin appreciating awareness, something we we all have, and to kind of wake up in the expansiveness, the openness, the peacefulness, the kind of beautiful feelings that come from being alert and aware in a peaceful way, uh, it changes the context, or changes the, the priorities of what's important for us in our life. From the preoccupation to a state of being unoccupied or free or spacious, it's a beautiful thing. So how do we do that? How do we develop our capacity for awareness? So awareness becomes a resource. Awareness becomes a jewel. Awareness becomes like um, you know, a, a clear cloudless sky that we really feel so expansive just looking up and being at. And the way we do it is by cultivating uh, these four foundations for awareness, these four foundations of mindfulness. And these four, are the foundation of mindfulness of the body, the foundation of what's called feelings, the foundation of mind, and the foundation of mental states. And the way that this works as a path is we start with the coarsest aspect, almost like the outermost aspect of who we are, our body. And, uh, and we start becoming embodied. We start feeling our body, living in our body, waking up the body. And as, the, as we become more familiar with our body and the breathing, then almost naturally, even without instructing it, we become aware of what's called the feelings. And I'll we'll describe in a few weeks what that means. Um, what it feels like to be in a body, what it feels like to be alive. It's hard to, f- to recognize the living experience, our living experience and what it feels like if we're preoccupied in thoughts or if we're preoccupied in our device, which is doing, th- doing the thinking for us. But to, but to begin kind of slowing down, showing up for ourselves and really tuning into what's here, then sooner or later we'll start noticing what it feels like, how things are pleasant and unpleasant. And then as we kind of tune in to how what things feels like, at some point, sooner or later, we start becoming aware of the quality of our mind, or the quality of our heart, the inner quality of our state of being. And so we're kind of going inwards, body, what it feels like to be embodied, and then deeper into the kind of the inner quality of state, our state of being. And then as we kind of become aware of the quality of our state of being, then as we stay there and be, be present for it and pay attention to it, then we sooner or later we start becoming aware of what it goes what goes on in our minds that affects the quality of our being state of our mind what are the impulses thoughts desires wishes what are the things going on that have some bearing on whether we are free or whether we're caught up and that's we are getting to kind of the heart of the issue the place where we make the most difference for our well-being, our sense of spiritual happiness and contentment. As we really get down in there, where we're really kind of making the choices, making the, the operating system that makes it all work. So it's a movement kind of inward. And as we go inward, the remarkable thing that happens with concentration, or mindful meditation practice, there's a kind of beautiful process of settling and going inwards that at the same time is an opening up an expansiveness. Uh, you have to almost experience this to kind of understand what i 'm talking about uh, rather than a narrowing into a narrow world it 's like we open up into a, fee- a kind of felt sense of it a much more expansive, wider, bigger world than you ever could have imagined. Um, the world is much bigger uh, the, you know when you enter into this amazing field of awareness and it 's just a pleasure to swim in it to play in it to graze in it. In our pasture. So, uh, mindfulness uh, in this tradition of this practice is much more much more than learning how to play Angry Birds. Well, uh, it has it's really it's one of the most I think sacred if you like that language sacred aspects and uh, the sacred practice sacred states that come into play by cultivating and developing a capacity that's ordinary completely ordinary capacity we all have that is underutilized. And, uh, and that is a simple capacity for being aware. Um, in this text, The Four Foundations of Mindfulness, the text um, makes uh, some grand, pr- uh, I don't know if promise is the right word, but uh, it makes a grand statement about where this practice leads. And I'd like to read this to you. Um, So the the Buddha said, um, this is the direct path for the purification of beings, for the surmounting of sorrow and lamentation, for the disappearance of pain and grief, for the attainment of Nibbana, namely the four foundations of mindfulness. Nibbana is the, uh, the word for nirvana in this tradition, enlightenment liberation he um, said so this is a direct path I love this idea of the direct path um, if you want to go to you know sometimes it's nice to go directly rather than taking the roundabout you know back roads which takes a while and you might end up in a dead end um, but this is a very direct thing and uh, one of the ways that it makes it direct is that it does not require a lot of learning it doesn't require you to understand a lot of Buddhist beliefs and tenets, uh, ideas that Buddhism has. It doesn't. You have to believe in metaphysics and about um, the nature of reality or true statements about, you know, God or rebirth or heavens or hells. Or there's all this kind of kind of more things that are considered more the unseen world that we can't really know for sure we can't easily share together because some people may be, you know, it's not so accessible. What here, the direct way is we enter into what's accessible, what's immediate, where we can be, touch here and see here and know here. Um, It's what's immediately available. The Buddha said the Dharma that he teaches is visible here and now. It's evident here and now. It's so... um, welcomes our inspection, welcomes our investigation. Come here and take a look here, here. So it makes it direct. What's directly available here and now? And now this idea of directly available here is such a big hallmark of this mindfulness tradition. If it's not available here and now, it's probably not relevant. So directly here, so to connect here. So the body, feeling your body, here, you know. Most people don't doubt they have a body. You know, it's a direct and immediate thing you can experience. So um, the cultivation of this mindfulness then, um, uh, there's a kind of a, the goal of liberation and freedom, but the stepping stone to it is described in this text through a refrain that reappears some 13 times in this text. It's like the refrain of a song, same thing happens over and over again, indicating that it's important. And this refrain ends, uh, it talks about how much we're supposed to develop mindfulness. And it says, we develop mindfulness to the point where we dwell without depending on anything, not clinging to anything in the world. Dwelling independent, not clinging to anything in the world. And so as mindfulness, as awareness gets stronger and stronger, it's kind of like um, um you know, maybe like a snake that grows. And as it grows, it sheds its skin. So as the awareness grows, we shed the old scaly attachments and clingings we have. And they just kind of, some of them begin, just begin to fall off as we become bigger and stronger. There's a kind of way in which mindfulness practice as it, gets, as it develops, helps us to feel confident, strong, upright, present, where things that Um, Begin to kind of fall off. The scales begin to fall off. Fall off. off. Not the clingings fall off. So not clinging to anything in the world. So it begins by by being aware of the body here. And in terms of being aware of the body, it begins by being aware of our breathing. And so the instructions, the, the for the first exercise here, it goes like this. And how does one abide observing the body as a body? Here, a person going to the forest or the root of a tree, or to an empty hut, sits down, having folded one's legs crosswise, sets one's body erect, And establishes mindfulness. Ever mindful, one breathes in. Mindful, one breathes out. Breathing in, a long breath, one understands, I'm breathing in a long breath. um, Breathing out a long breath, one understands, I breathe out a long breath. Breathing in a short breath, one understands, I breathe in a short breath. Breathing out a short breath, one understands. I breathe out a short breath. When trains oneself thus, I shall breathe in, experiencing the whole body. When trains oneself thus, I shall breathe out, experiencing the whole body. When trains thus, I shall breathe in, relaxing the bodily formation. When trains thus, I shall breathe out relaxing the bodily formation. Just as a skilled turner or an apprentice, like a lathe turner, when making a long turn understands I make a long turn. When making a short turn understands I make a short turn. So too, breathing in long, a person understands I breathe in long. Breathing out uh, and so forth. So it begins with this exercise on breathing, and I'll talk about it again some more next week. But I wanted to read the whole thing because it gives a simile at the end of a of a turner. Uh, I think it meant like a lathe, someone just turning a piece of wood on a lathe, and so they have the knife and they're kind of attentive, very present there. Um, <clears throat> the um, you know I've, I've I've done I've made bowls on a lathe, and you know it's, this piece of wood spins around, and you just it's exact. It's exact there's only one point where the knife touches the lathe, one little place. And eventually you, you touch the whole piece of wood as it goes on around and around, but the place of contact is always just one place where, that, where the uh, knife rests. And so um, this sharp point is the, the developing the sharpness of awareness. Where we sharply see the cycles, the turning of breathing, breathing in, breathing out. It's kind of like a circle. And the Buddha likening it to a craftsperson is quite wonderful. Uh, this idea, I think I talked last week about uh, developing ourselves, like a craftsperson develops themselves. Um, we're the craft. We're the, we're the medium that we're developing in ourselves with. And so the first place where this craft of, of mindfulness uh, begins is beginning to tune into our breathing. And... Um, and the breathing is a beautiful thing to practice with for most people, <clears throat> and um, I've spent now 40 years of my life practicing mindfulness of the breathing, and it's been one of the treasures of my life, and uh, I love it. And it seems like the more I do it, the more I appreciate it, the more valuable it is. You would think that that's a long time to pay attention to something as boring and simple as the breathing. I mean, you can just you know after all you. Can just since you can see me just, you know, watch two or three breaths and you have the basic idea. <laughs> <laughs> you know, 40, 40 years, this gill must be slow in the uptake. <laughs> but in fact, that uh, this tuning into the breath and all that, all that comes from it is really some of the most beautiful things that, beautiful thing that can happen. So it begins with breathing and then goes into the body, feelings, states of being, the operating system underneath, and comes out uh, to liberation. So that's, it. that's the kind of the introduction to what we'll do over these next seven or so weeks. And there are 13 exercises for developing aware- awareness here in this text. So we'll go more than one, one, one a week, but we'll go through these uh, 13 uh, exercises and, describe it. and In doing so, I hope that it does a number of things for those of you who come. One is it uh, helps you to appreciate and recognize um, your own capacity for being aware, for paying attention, and begin to treasure, to value it, to see that it's actually very important, and to be able to recognize awareness uh, as opposed to awareness operating, but it's kind of in the background. And beautiful things happen when we start really clearly recognizing awareness itself and that you'll be the other thing I hope it'll happen is that you'll become uh, aware of how these four foundations of mindfulness can support you in so many ways in your life Uh, clarifies things makes things a lot easier protects you helps you become wiser and helps you to understand yourself in a deeper way and if at the end of the eight weeks uh, this also liberated you that would be great. Or at least set you on the path of liberation because you appreciate it and understand it. That's the task. So we have about 10 minutes left here. <clears throat> and I've kind of given you this introduction. And If you have any questions you'd like to ask um, about that or clarification, uh, it'd be nice to hear or your concerns about this topic, so I can hear your concerns as we go over this next week, so maybe I can address those. Can you use the mic? My question is, as we're learning the 13 practices, will you be incorporating that into the silent meditation practice as guiding us? Cause I, oh. Perhaps N- that would I think, help some oh, folks interesting to idea. You know, um, I've almost never done any kind of guided meditations Monday night um, because I think silence is so great. And I think a lot of people get a lot of, you know... So I'm a little bit reluctant to kind of you know, add something, but maybe I'll think about it a little bit, and maybe uh, something like the last 10 minutes of the sitting, maybe I can get away with it then. (laughs) Thank you for the suggestion. And I I agree, it might make it come more alive or more meaningful if we experience it that way. Or maybe we can do a little bit of it uh, during the talk. I don't have to talk so much.
0: Yeah, I'm wondering um, about being how you stay disciplined and being mindful. Mm. Um, I oftentimes at night will take a walk for a couple of miles or so, and I'm I'm really mindful, very mindful for the first fifty feet. <laughs> And then I come back, I make a circle and come back to my place, and I said, well, what happened? <laughs> you know? And um, <clears throat> years ago, I, I bought a watch that had a little beep every hour or so, and I thought, well, that little beep will remind me to be mindful. Well, after a few days, that that didn't happen. So <clears throat> I don't know what else there is except maybe wearing a little battery pack that will shock. <laughs> Shock shocking every five minutes or so. Oh, yeah, I've got to be mindful. <laughs> but it's, it's it's really, really um, incredibly difficult to remember to pay attention.
1: Yes, yeah. it, can be, it can be. They say that uh, mindfulness is easy. Remembering to do it is what's hard.
0: Yeah, exactly. It, it's just, just amazingly difficult yeah, to...
1: Yeah. And, uh, and you're doing that as a, on a walk, where you're kind of casually walking around, as opposed to some you know, where people working or involved in social situations. You know, it's much more even harder there. Yeah. So, um, so for your particular thing, you know, what you're saying, and I can offer a couple of suggestions. Sure. Um, the first is that um, it's very helpful to, at some point, to stop trying to be mindful, but rather try to understand how you lose your mindfulness. Hmm. And so what you might do, you recognize 50 feet is all you can go. So let's say that's to the end of the block. So when you get, every time you get to the end of the block, to the corner, stop and review what just happened over the last steps and see what, what happened? What did I get caught up in? What were my thoughts? What were the feelings? And try to see if you can understand uh, what is it, what, what went on for you that was so important that your mind kind of lost the present moment and went off into some place. And really try to get really familiar with that. And in order to do that as an exercise for a few weeks, you might have to actually stop and really take, look back. What just happened? What just happened? And uh, you might need to, there's some kind of, probably there's some kind of key, some kind of thing you have to understand about yourself, um, about how you leave the present moment. And once you understand that, then we can talk about discipline of staying mindful.
0: You know, one of the things that is has occurred to me about this is that being in the physical plane, we've all been through various traumas and so forth. Um, I think uh, being unmindful is almost in a way uh, the same thing as an alcoholic drinking. Yes. It's you want to be someplace else because being present is painful. Yes. So that's
1: why. That's why. So. So. So maybe stop. Make sure you stop early enough. Maybe it's you know. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe it's even to say you able to be mindful of fifty feet. Maybe it was being generous to yourself. (laughs) (laughs) And and so you you might, as an exercise over some weeks, uh, you know, figure out how far you need to walk, so you can then, then really stop and say, what just happened. And slowly you might discover, if that's the case for you, that yes, you're so uncomfortable in your body, so uncomfortable here. And then you start, then and once you start recognizing that or get a hint of that, maybe you already have that hint, um, and use the big word. You know, trauma is a big word. So um, if there is some important trauma, then sometimes it's really helpful to go get some professional help. Uh, people can help you be mindful, be present, and give you the resources, giving you support, so there's a container support, love, acceptance, wisdom that can help you. Because sometimes with things, things like that, it's very hard to do it alone. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Great. Thank you. So uh, that's the journey we'll take. So thank you all very much, and I hope that... Um, this week while you were preparing for these talks that uh, you will uh, get curious about what is awareness. How do you know when you're paying attention? What is, the, what is attention for you? Just kind of be curious, what is awareness? What is attention? When does, it o- when does it operate? Can you recognize it? And what happens, what shifts for you with that kind of curiosity, that investigation during this week? Great, thank you.